2: You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com/slash host.
0: Hello, Canucks fans, and welcome back to another episode of the Canucks Conversation brought to you today by HSBC Rugby 7s. HSBC World Rugby 7s is Western Canada's largest sporting event, and this year is the ninth time the event has visited Vancouver as part of the World Rugby 7s series. From February 23rd to 25th, grab your friends and your best costume and head on down to BC Place to catch 12 women's and 12 men's 7s teams, including two Canadian squads, take to the pitch for three full days of jam-packed rugby and partying. Tickets on sale now at van7s.com, starting From just $40 per day. But that's not all. There's another way that you can head on over to Rugby Sevens. If you want to go. We have got a four pack of tickets. For the entire weekend. To give away. Text hashtag sevens. That's S-E-V-E-N-S. To 778-402-9680. For your chance to win. We will be giving away a four pack each week. Until the event. Text hashtag sevens to 778-402-9680. Harmon, I might have to text that number because I want to go to Rugby Sevens and four tickets. That sounds real good. So, folks, be sure to check it out. Uh, Enter our little giveaway. It'll be a lot of fun, unlike the roads right now. This is a remote edition of Canucks Conversation, as you can tell. My name is David Quadrelli. That is Harmon Dial. Our technical producer is Grady Sass. And our intern is Lachlan Irvin. I think Grady and Lachlan made the trek to the studio, but we did not. And Harmon, I thought about it because I've talked about it. I got a new car recently, and it's it's capable of handling the snow. And I was like, okay, I'm going to go to Canucks practice, and I'm also just going to go to the studio right after. Or I'll go home, I'll figure it out. But then something told me that the Canucks might have a long practice today. And sure enough, they did. The Canucks got off, or not got off the ice, but we didn't get audio until like 20 minutes ago. And we're recording this. We're a little late today, folks. Apologies about that. Uh, It's 2.07 right now. And the Canucks practiced for a long time today. It was a long Canucks practice between them being on the ice and the media festivities that happen afterwards. It was a long time that the Canucks were on the ice. So... I know you were thinking about going as well. Thank God we didn't because we probably would have been even later uh, doing our show today.
1: Yeah, I sort of lucked out there because, man, I would have been pissed if I, because my car is useless in this weather. If I took the hour to transit there, transit back, and because the show, I don't even get an opportunity to talk to anybody after practice. That uh, would have been not ideal at all, especially because I was up until like 2 2 a.m. writing. Uh, so yeah, definitely lucked out there, but I will say it was funny with the snow. I, I am kind of an idiot sometimes. So I fed my dog like I normally do in the backyard and I didn't think to put his, his, uh, food bowl somewhere undercover. So I woke up this morning (laughs) and my dog's looking at me because he wants breakfast and I'm like, okay, great pal. And I walk outside. Um, and I don't know where his food bowl is because <laughs> there's it's just all covered in snow so I had to spend like 10-15 minutes digging the entire back, backyard uh, up uh, getting rid, rid of all the snow until I could find his food bowl
0: so I've got a similar dog story and we will get to hockey soon folks but Bert today saw snow for the first time like he, he saw the dusting uh, like last week but this was like a map like we got like two feet of snow Okay. So he walks outside and he's just, he's shocked because outside the door it's, it's shoveled, but then his P spot was blocked off by like two feet of snow. And he was very confused how he was supposed to get over there. So he like looks up at me. So I carried him over the mound of snow and we, we eventually got there, but he, so he went to the bathroom, did his business. And then it was time for number two and I'm thinking, okay, whatever he, he takes it. And instead of resting on top of the snow, it goes into the snow. (laughs) Like it it goes into the snow and I'm like, well, I have to pick it up. I'm not going to leave it. So here I am with a bag on my hand and I'm like digging through the snow and I'm like, okay, it, it must've gone straight down. So I follow it to the source and then I pull it up and I've got this bag. My bag is full. It has the poop somewhere in there, but then I've got all this snow with me. So I'm like, okay, I'll shake off some of the snow. I go to shake off the snow And sure enough, I dropped part of the log into the snow again. So I have to go look for it again. I'm just (laughs) sitting here with this bag, just doing this digging through the snow. And it was, uh, yeah, it was not a lot of fun. And I'm uh, not looking forward to taking him out later this afternoon after this show. And people in the chat are asking about Bert. He's doing well. He's recovering well from his surgery. Uh, He's doing doing very well. And he really likes the snow. So that's really nice. Uh, He's enjoying it quite a bit. Just like we're enjoying this team quite a bit harm uh the arizona coyotes are in town tomorrow we will be breaking that down on tomorrow's show but for today's show and you and i last last night after we wrapped up our show yesterday you said to me i don't want to talk trade deadline a 100 times before the actual trade deadline because we're still like two months out of the trade deadline it's march 8th march 8th is the trade deadline still a ways to go i don't want to talk trades i don't want to talk about that today the other thing we didn't want to talk about was Elias Pedersen, because for some reason, everybody was just diving into the Elias Pedersen discourse yesterday and all this. Will he sign? Like, maybe he's not going to sign in Vancouver. And you and I talked and we, we don't really want to talk about that. So the happy medium we found was to further dissect the quotes that came out during yesterday's show that we briefly touched on. And those were the quotes from Vancouver Canucks general manager Patrick Alvin, who spoke with Ian McIntyre of Sportsnet. And there was so much good stuff in this interview that I really wanted to get to it. Um, Grady says he needs a second for the quotes. We, we had a little technical difficulties folks uh, at our studio. Cause like I said, Grady and Lachlan are both in studio. So uh, we had some technical difficulties today. I, I don't know exactly what it was. All I know is Grady was very panicked uh, right before we were supposed to go live. And that's why we were late. And uh, yeah, Grady says he needs a, a second or two. So get your, anyone else's in folks. Let's start with Canucks practice harm. There was not, there there was not a lot going on um at Canucks practice today, but all of the All-Stars spoke. And you 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 might think like, yeah, these guys don't want to go. I, I don't think we got any of that today, but we were we were kind of expecting to see, you know, someone not want to speak, but all the all-stars spoke today. And it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was interesting. And Jeff Patterson's going to have the whole breakdown from Canucks practice uh, up on Canucksarmy.com shortly. But uh, sorry, I'm jumping all over. OK, Gray says he's ready. OK, let's get to it now. Uh, the quotes from Patrick Alvin yesterday. Pardon, the first one that I want to bring up is Patrick Alvin's quote about Teddy Bluger, because he was asked by IMAC, uh, six trades, five free agent signings which one are you most pleased with? And you know, he lists off Casey DeSmith, Smith, Ian Cole, Sam Lafferty, but then he says, I think the one guy is Teddy Bluger. I don't think he gets as much attention as he should, how professional he is every day, how he goes about his business every day to prepare for the next practice or next game or next, whatever. I think Teddy has shown this group a lot. That's last part about Teddy Bluger showing the group a lot. That's the one thing that I think, has actually gone under the radar because I think we've given Teddy Bluger his flowers. Uh, we've talked about him as being perhaps the, this team's biggest unsung hero, but I want to pick on myself a little bit harm because the other day I was talking about how this team doesn't have a ton of playoff experience. And I said, yeah, you've got Ian Cole. How about Teddy Bluger? Like Teddy Bluger doesn't get mentioned in that last part very often about having the playoff experience about showing the group things as more of a veteran presence. And, I think every time we give him praise, we're talking about, yeah, we didn't think he would be this good offensively, and him being able to be a key cog on that third line, the best third line in hockey, that's what we usually give him praise for. But I didn't even really put the, put the two items together, that this is a veteran voice that's been there, done that in the playoffs, and is going to be able to provide that to this group when it comes playoff time.
1: Yeah, and I think he's really well-liked in the locker room, too. That's definitely the vibe that I've gotten. It reminds me, honestly, a little bit of Brandon Sutter, just in the sense that there are a couple similarities there. Both of them are very sort of boring interviews in in the the on-the-record sense, if, if you just go and talk to them. A lot of hockey cliches, both Sutter and Bluger. But behind the scenes, they're actually both really funny. Like I don't think a lot of people know how much Brandon Sutter was loved in the the locker room because of how lighthearted and funny he is. And we didn't get a chance to really see that very often. I know there was the one Canucks video, I want to say back in 2019, when he did the Air Canucks, um, interviewing all the other players. And I don't think Bluegrass quite as outgoing, but it was funny. I was uh, talking to Dakota Joshua on the last road trip about what are the different personalities on the team and just the, some of the dynamics on these road trips, especially when they fly the team charter. And he's like, Teddy Bluger tells jokes on the charter (laughs) apparently. And Bluger was right there. I'm like, wait, what I would, I wouldn't have taken you for a guy that just tells jokes like that. And is, um, is super lighthearted. And, um, and he joked and he's like, yeah, those jokes are for when you guys are gone. um, and so that was really insightful for uh, insightful for me because it sort of gives you uh, the sense that, okay, yeah, he's professional. Yeah. He knows how to play the right way defensively. He kills penalties. He does a lot of those details that I think are appreciated on the ice and off the ice. He's a great example of that, but also he's just a really likable uh, player, uh, really likable personality and, and character and, So that was something that I learned over the last uh, month or so that I didn't know when he first joined this team. That's a really good point, Harmon. I really, like, yeah, I think it's the most under-discussed thing. And
0: it's really interesting that Alvin kind of pointed that out. I I think he's talking more about how all around he's, discussed but I think we talk about him more than enough on this show. And like I said, I think we give him his flowers, but that's the one aspect that we haven't really dove into when it comes to Teddy Bluger is the playoff experience and all of that. Quickly, before we get to the next quote, I want to tell you one Brandon Sutter story. I think I've told this before, so long time listeners of the podcast might know it. But when Brandon Sutter was out uh with, with that year where he was still signed to the team, but he had the long COVID, he would come to games every now and then and he would sit in the press box and It was when I was doing the wheels and doors story. I don't know if you remember this, Harman. But I did the story on wheels and doors. And I was asking, are there more wheels? Or are there more doors in the world? And more people ended up saying wheels. Uh, Bruce Boudreau told me he counted all the doors at Rogers Arena. And I didn't tell him I was doing this. I just, I randomly asked him the question. He said, you know what? I counted all the doors last week. But I'll say wheels. And I was like, all right. So anyways, Brandon Sutter, I just, I go up to him. And I was like, hey, man, like, I don't, you know, I, I hope you're feeling well, all that um and him and I were just chatting and I was like oh yeah I'm working on this story just about wheels wheels and doors if there's more wheels or doors in the world he goes huh that's a really interesting story and I was like yeah well it's like a trend blah 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 and he goes well can I be part of it I was like yeah yeah dude yeah yeah no problem so um I was like are there more wheels or doors in the world and he's like you know, I'm always picking up kids' toys and those always have wheels on them. So I'm going to go wheels. And I was like, okay, like, I know you're injured. Like, are you okay if I quote you on that? He's like, no, no, quote me on that. I'm sure of it. And I was like, all right, cool. So Brandon Sutter was a part of my story um, in the year that he was injured. Jeremy Lee wants us to a- ask, he asks this, and we'll get to a lot more in anyone else, but this is a, or anyone else that we'll get to early before we continue this segment. Any more cool Canucks stories that aren't as well-known in public circles i'm trying to think of one that i can actually tell because like i have one that comes to mind but i can't tell it like it's not a it's a breach of trust right like that's the thing is is these guys trust us uh we trust them to some extent as well and we can't we can't breach that trust so i'm I'm trying to think of a story that i could think of that doesn't cross any lines because the one that i have is like you know, it's, it's not a, it's nothing bad. It's like nothing bad. It's just an embarrassing moment for a player. And I don't think they would appreciate me uh, relaying it on the podcast because we've all had embarrassing moments that we wouldn't like broadcast it out there.
1: I, I think I've got one. This is, I, I, he won't mind me telling this one. So it's my rookie or it's, it's my first year covering the team 2019, 20 season. It's November late and the team's in Edmonton and this is also Quinn Hughes rookie season Uh, it's a year where they finally started to be competitive again and so this was the game where Louis Erickson scored an empty netter I I just really fondly remember that Canucks win uh, big win on Saturday night Uh, we go into the locker room and this was still at the point where I've only covered the team for like a month I, I haven't really built many relationships so I'm pretty reserved shy whatever so we do post game uh interviews walk out um and because it's my first time in that rogers place building i'm lost like i don't really know how to get back up to the press box i'm just sort of hanging out by locker room and um and quinn hughes this like shy reserved guy as well comes out of the room gives me like the biggest pat on the shoulder he's like hey what's up man uh and then i tell him i'm like i don't know how to get to the press box (laughs) And, um, and he, and because it's his rookie year as well, he's like, honestly, I've been trying to figure out the ranks as well. He tells me the story about how in Pittsburgh, uh, he got totally lost in the rank there. And then, so we both ended up sort of walking for a few minutes and he he asked me about what I write about after games and, and that sort of thing. But I just thought it was really funny that the, 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 the picture in my head of Quinn Hughes getting lost at PPG paints, uh, arena during his uh, first road trip though that was pretty funny that's amazing I love that then those are the stories that we can tell and I remember
0: one time vintage Canucks combo. this is long time listeners of Canucks combo know this one when Faber used to have guests every week he had Dan Murphy on the show once and he asked Murph to tell a funny story during Elias Pettersson's rookie year and it was Elias Pettersson wondering why Linguini wasn't just called fat spaghetti or it was like it was very funny because Murph just came up with that on the spot. He was like, yeah, on the team charter, um, Elias Pedersen was confused what fettuccine was. And he said, uh, why isn't it just called fat spaghetti? Because that's how it was explained to him when he was still learning English. Of course, they just said it's basically fat spaghetti. He's like, why don't you just call it fat spaghetti then?
1: Anyways, um, let's continue this one segment. More, break. Yeah, one, uh, tell, it, tell it. One more really good one that came to mind. So this was, uh, this was uh, an on-the-record interview I did with Quinn during the 2021 uh, COVID year, so this was uh, over Zoom and this was like a subscriber q and I had basically gotten and collected the best quest- questions from athletic subscribers and told Quinn, hey, this is just a light, lighthearted, fun interview. It's nothing serious. Uh, and one of the questions was because him and uh, Pedersen were, ro- were rooming at the time because they were both on their entry-level contracts. And the question was, what's Pedersen like as a roommate? And earlier in the year, Petey had given it to Quinn for being a messy roommate, apparently. So I think Quinn was like, all right, like I can uh, unleash on uh, Petey now. And so he tells me that apparently Petey always wanted to have, or, or really regularly wanted to have like late night convos about just like whatever. And Quinn would, I guess, just sort of at a certain point get distracted or, or go on his phone or, or just be checked out of the conversation at, at a certain point. And he's like, if he didn't engage, PD would, le- would legit then give him the silent treatment and get super <laughs> and like take it really personally. And uh, and so I thought that was uh, really funny. Thoughtful guy, that Liz Peterson.
0: Okay, let's continue this Alvin segment, which we should also mention is brought to you by our friends over at Four Winds Brewing. Family-owned and operated in Delta, home to the Four Winds Light Light Lager, a crisp, clean, and easy-drinking beer—a beer for everyone, a perfect beer for before, after, or during the game, or during some late-night conversations with Elias Patterson, Ask for Four Winds Light Lager at your local liquor store, or have some delivered right to your door through the online shop at Four Winds Brewing dot C A. Those were great stories, Harmon. I love it. I'm, I'm gonna try to think. Of, I'm gonna try to think of some more. I, I got a few from the Zoom era but nothing spectacular so i'll I'll save it those that's a that's a really solid question jeremy uh thank you for that and we'll get to more of your questions in the anyone else segment but let's continue on here breaking down this interview that patrick alvin did with ian mcintyre okay this one we wrote an article about this at canucks army patrick alvin talking about being aggressive at the trade deadline i think Harmon, given what you and i have talked about recently this is the answer you want to hear IMAC asked, with your team obviously having a chance to win, will you be aggressive ahead of the deadline? Alvin said, well, I think I owe it to the players. The players dictate how good we are and how they're buying into the way we want to play. We know that they are capable of playing at this high level. And if they continue to do that, then it's on me to make sure I support them and give them opportunities to be successful. I love that quote. And again, I know it's not anyone else, but I I really like this comment from Nick P in the YouTube live chat. He said, what will cause more drama in this market? Giving up assets to go all in and then failing in the playoffs or not adding anyone and regretting not adding the extra pieces. I know I can only speak for myself, but based on what I've been saying recently, and just this is how I feel about this team at this point is. I would only be upset if this team didn't add. If this team adds and fails in the playoffs, it happened, right? Like. If they add if they add big time and it looks like it's a great move, and most of the moves they've been making, when they make their move, when they strike, they've been good so far. So I don't I I can't see the, one, I can't see them making a move that makes any of us go, oh, that's the wrong piece to add, right? Like maybe the, the critique would be you didn't add enough, but if they add, if they give it their best shot, and I already spoke Moko and all in yesterday, so I'm not gonna do it again. But if they add and then fail in the playoffs. I'm not going to be blaming management
1: for that. Are you? I think the only way would be if they sold the farm, essentially on a rental that they're not able to keep. I think that would sting. If it's a short playoff run, you're losing this guy. And then as you're looking at a scenario where Pedersen and Horonic are going to be more expensive, you've got a bunch of other expiring contracts then you may regret not having those assets to go out and and trade for other pieces that might uh help the roster moving forward that's the only scenario where i think sort of going all in would uh would warrant potential uh criticism from the market
0: sure but but what do you what do
1: you mean by selling the farm right like if like, you, like the, go on i guess if you give up let's say a first round pick and like a, and uh, one of your, let's say top three or four prospects. And it's, and it's for a guy who doesn't move the needle is a poor fit. Let's say uh, down the stretch in the regular season, in the playoffs and you get bounced early. Like that's, that, that's a move that didn't work out clearly. It's it, that would draw some criticism. It would. Sure, 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 sure. But I, I don't, I don't think that was the question.
0: And I don't want to dive into one question from a listener too, too much, but like I'm looking at it as they add and then despite the ad being a good one, they fail in the playoffs. If, if it's a miss on pro scouting, then yeah, they're going to get criticized for that. But I don't think if you go out and get somebody that helps your team, but they still come up short in the playoffs, I don't think they're going to get criticized for that. At least they shouldn't in my mind. This is connect
1: Twitter, man. Don't, uh, don't underestimate this this uh fan base fair enough
0: fair enough there are close okay let's get on this. both sides that's very valid let's get to this next quote it's from Alvin talking about andre kuzmenko in relation to the trade deadline a little bit i know we touched on it briefly yesterday uh but here is the full quote and there's a few full quotes here from patrick alvine can we get this upgraded there it is okay nope almost other one, Kuzmenko. Okay, one sec, I'll pull it up on my computer. Okay, um, so bear with us, folks. This one from Sportsnet, how concerned are you about Kuzmenko's struggles this season and that a $5.5 million player has been a healthy scratch five times? Alvin said if you look at it, he's a second year pro in the National Hockey League. Although he's older, we know the second year is tough. We've become a better team and we want to play a more structured game. I would say I'm very pleased with his last few games. I think Kuzi understands what he needs to do in order to stay in the lineup. iMac asked again, have other teams been calling you about him? Alvin, obviously he's a hell of a talented player and teams are definitely checking in when they see a guy like that is not in the lineup. Is what to do with Kuzmenko the biggest decision you have to make before the March 8th trade deadline? Alvin, the players usually dictate where they fit and how they perform and all that. Talk it as a puzzle guy, and we want to make sure the puzzle works. So we talk about different ideas and things, and then we'll see where things go. Arguably, the most interesting quotes from the story: Harmon um, not shutting the door on a Kuzmenko trade, but also not shutting the door on what Jim Rutherford a few months ago called their preference, and that is that Andre Kuzmenko figures it out and plays well, and Alvin's Alvin's happy with his last few games. Arguably, the most interesting quote from all of this.
1: Yeah, and I think as you look at this Kuzmenko situation, it is going to be interesting to see if you're going to go out and acquire top six forward, are there ways to add that piece cap-wise without sending a contract back? Because that might be the scenario where you may just have to include Kuzmenko to be able to afford uh, a bigger salary. I'm not sure what cap gymnastics are available to them. But right now, according to Cap Friendly, they're projected to have 1.2 million in um, in deadline cap space. And now there are creative ways to get around it. We've seen teams at previous deadlines; the th- whole third party broker became uh, a buzzword, where you double retain, and now all of a sudden the guys' cap hit is shrinking a ton, and maybe you run with fewer than 23 players on your roster. Which frees up a little bit more flexibility, and you're able to add that piece without without sending a bigger salary like Kuzmenko back. But I think that's one of the biggest questions that comes to mind for me initially is not just about the merits of Kuzmenko and his individual fit, but clearly you want to add to this team. Can you do that without sending a contract back? I I think that's going to be something to watch for. Uh, And then if it's not at this deadline, unless there's a dramatic turnaround, you figure there has to be a resolution in the off season because with some of these contracts that the Canucks are going to have to sign some of these rising costs, expiring free agents, having to plug in holes, you can't really afford to have $5.5 million that is not being put to uh, uh is not being maximized in its uh in its usage every dollar counts for the Canucks, and I think that would be the type of contract that you might look at and go all right, we want to find a better way to to make use of this uh capital
0: i like it i like it the the whole anthony Bovillier uh from the islanders um this final quote Harmon from this interview as we wrap up this segment here it's the one that's got the market up in arms. Patrick Alvin on Elias Patterson. Is there any change in Elias Patterson's situation? Any signs of negotiations resuming? Alvin, I have conversations with his agent, but nothing obviously has changed. We want to keep Petey here. He knows that at some point, it's going to come down to negotiations and if it's working or not. We have another year with him as an RFA. We're not going to lose him this summer. But that being said, I'm trying to plan for our team this year and next year, and I want him to be a big part of it. I'mac followed that up by asking if it in Alvin's experience, it was a little unusual for a star player to kind of hold off like this. And Patrick Alvin said, yeah, maybe a little bit, called it a little bit unusual. And I think that quote is the one that really has the market discussing. Like I've seen people say like, okay, well, if you have to trade Elias Pettersson, what do you want to get back for him? And I'm like, come on, it's way too soon for that. And your colleague, Thomas Drantz, uh, had a really, really sharp column, I thought, in The Athletic about why it's t- it's, it's not time to worry about Elias Petterson's contract with the Vancouver Canucks. And I think both of us kind of share that sentiment as well. And you brought up a name in David Pasternak um, that is kind of relevant to this situation as well.
1: Yeah, I've consistently brought it up even this past summer when everybody, before Pettersson had done that, interview with Friedman said that he wanted to wait till the end of the season to uh, negotiate and, and really sign his next contract that if you look at Pasternak, who was also re- repped by JP Barry of CAA, their playbook was really interesting. And I think Pasternak gained a lot from that situation. And basically the timeline for that was on July 1st, last, Um, sorry, not last off season, the, the off season before uh, in 2022, the Bruins tried to sit down with Pashnok and they wanted to hammer out a long-term extension right away. Pashnok wasn't willing to do it. And I think part of it was wanting to see what the future of the team looked like with Bergeron, with Krejci. It was definitely, tr- it looked like it could be a transitory stage in the Bruins uh, timeline. And okay, are we going to be a good team? So those neg- those negotiations were sort of put on hold. Boston got off to this terrific start in the middle of a historic regular season, sort of like um, the excellent start the Canucks are off to right now. And Poshnok continued slow playing it. And he didn't put a uh, pen to paper until right before the trade deadline. And keep in mind, there was even more urgency with the situation because Poshnok was an unrestricted free agent. So he was only months away from literally being able to walk and. Um, that worked to Postonox's advantage because that gave him an opportunity to put up even bigger numbers. The you know more cap, more favorable cap comparables came in, and he got a very clear direction of okay, the future in Boston, at least in the short term, is still pretty bright. I can feel comfortable com- about committing here. And from Pedersen's situation, he's made it very clear since that interview with Friedman that he wanted to wait till the end of the season, and. Why would you not? He First of all, he gains so much information by waiting through this season about the direction of the organization, uh, his confidence in the coaching staff, management. These are his prime years. This is arguably his most important window the next few years in terms of the next contract. Why would he not take as much time to make an informed decision, especially when he's an RFA? Second, and this is the part that I don't think a lot of people are maybe looking at as much, is. Last offseason, Petterson's negotiating power probably wasn't quite as strong because he'd only been a 100-point player once in his career. Yep. Keep in mind that before that, Petterson had never been a point-per-game player. So him going out and doing it again and potentially being in the Selkie conversation, I, I saw Jay Fresh did a poll of NHL fans and Barkov a second— or. Er, Pedersen was second in Selkie trophy voting behind Barkov. If you're a centerman that can put up back-to-back 100-point seasons and you're potentially going to be a runner-up in the Selkie conversation, being able to put together a second elite season that helps him individually in terms of his leverage, his contract, um, and what he can command. And then third, you see more favorable uh, for more favorable comparables like Nylander rolling in. And, um, and so given all that, why would he... Why, why would he rush to, to make this decision? So I, I'm not worried about this situation at all because throughout this entire process, it's made sense for him to wait.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I don't, I really don't think anything's changed. And someone said in the chat here, I have to find who it was. Corey Anderson said, the fan base has lost its mind when Thomas Drance is the voice of reason. <laughs> usually, usually it's the other way around. No, I, I can't, of course. um, But That's it for the Alvin quotes. I found all of those really interesting, and I wanted to make sure we talked about them. we're going to continue this conversation a little bit here.
2: Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle
0: down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door.
2: You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
0: We're going to start anyone else with a question about Elias Patterson. That's right, folks. It's time for anyone else, your chance to get involved, and hit us up in the YouTube live chat. And it's also our listeners' chance to get 25% off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when they enter the code NATION25. That's all capital letters NATION and the numbers 25 on the DoorDash app with your first order. You get 25% off. With that code with double dash on DoorDash, you can order from multiple restaurants or stores in the same delivery without additional delivery fees. So everyone can get what they want and need. Be sure to go check it out. Uh, DoorDash, that promo code again is nation 25. Okay. This one from NAR who comes in with some heater questions. I actually like this. It's a tough question on a spectrum from selfless team player to self-centered prima donna. Where does Elias Pettersson lie? And I know the wording might be a little bit harsh here, but I gave this one some thought during your answer there, Harmon. And I think what I've come down to, well, the conclusion that, that I come to in my mind, is that I think he might be, you, you might be able to make the argument, yeah, He's he's worried about himself more than some players in the NHL. Sure, I'll listen to that. But what I ultimately come down to is Liz Patterson's one of the most selfless team players on the ice. And I think that's where it matters more. Um, there, were, there was a sequence earlier in the year where JT Miller scored that goal. I can't remember who they were playing, where JT Miller came off the bench. And that was in the heart of the Canucks being tired and hearing all this stuff about how they need to keep their shifts short. Elise Patterson changed in the ozone so that JT Miller could come down on the ice. JT Miller in his post game gave Pedersen all of the flowers there. Like he was talking about how that was, uh, that was a very selfless change by Elias Pedersen. And no matter what his contract situation is, I think that's what I want to highlight the most is that he's a very selfless team player in that locker room and on the ice, just because he won't commit to this organization right now, because he wants to get everything he can from them in terms of dollars, which why wouldn't he like, that's another thing. I I mean, I I heard this brought up with cutter Gauthier thing as well. And I think obviously the situations are different, but you know, NHL players don't have a lot of opportunity to make a lot of money in their NHL career. And I know compared to us, sure. But like compared to other athletes, they don't have a ton of opportunity just with the way the CBA works. um, You look at when players are going to get to free agency, all that sort of stuff, Um, what they make on their ELCs, all that sort of stuff. They don't have a ton of control, in their careers even as an rfa you don't have a ton of control in your career so i don't blame a guy like Elias petterson for exploring every avenue that he possibly can to get as much money as he possibly can on this deal i don't think that makes you a self-centered prima donna i really don't i think the thing that matters the most is how you play on the ice and i think petterson's a great team player on the ice and i think that's what matters a heck of a lot more
1: yeah and i also don't don't even think it's just about maximizing every dollar. It's also just the simple fact that um, I mean, before the Canucks got back on track this season, let's be honest, this franchise was a bit of a disaster. There was so much turmoil, so much dysfunction. And so if you're in Patterson's situation and winning a Stanley Cup, not just one cup, but chasing multiple cops matters a lot to you, which it also matters a lot for a ton of franchise players across the NHL that care about their legacy, that care about how they're viewed by their peers. Why would you not want to make sure that this is as stable a situation as possible before you commit your long-term future during your prime years? Because he's what, 24 now, 25. This is smack in the middle. By the time his next contract expires, he's going to be in in his late 20s. And at that point, it's not that players are mysteriously going to fall off, but if you want to be the guy, if you want to be the franchise player on a Stanley Cup winning team, you're generally going to get that done in your mid to late 20s for the most part. So that's... Yeah, sorry, continue. No, you want to chime in.
0: Well, I was just going to say, like, let's not forget that before he signed this bridge deal, he was talking about how he just wants to play somewhere where they're winning. So this isn't like a new thing for Elias Pedersen that he wanted to do a bunch of winning. And prior to this year, they didn't win over that bridge deal. So I, he didn't lay it out like this. So I don't want to put words in his mouth. But if if the criteria for him signing long term after this bridge deal was, OK, how much winning have we done over the bridge deal? The answer is not a heck of a lot, right? And look, I, I, I'm willing to listen to the people that come out and say, well, he's part of the solution. I think we've seen this year that the biggest issues, and Daniel Wagner, shout out to him, had a really solid column on this about how the biggest issues with the Canucks teams over the years has been their weak links and their bottom six and all the issues they've had all over the roster. Um, And, you know, that was done by Jim Benning. Like Jim Benning was holding back this team quite a bit. And we all know that. I'm not going to repeat it. And I'm not going to get any debates about it. It's not even a debate. Um, I just, I I look at this situation and say, yeah, like I understand where Elias Patterson's coming from. And I'm, again, neither of us are pushing the panic button. We didn't even want to talk about it. We ended up spending uh, a lot of time talking one, about
1: it. Though. One last thing also, the Canucks had their chance to lock Pedersen up long-term on his last contract. And it's not just the cap, the, the oh, the, the lack of cap space. Excuse, yeah, that was a contributing factor. But at that point, Pedersen was 100% opening, open to the idea of signing a longer deal. And I think the Canucks front office at that time outside of just the cap concerns, weren't totally sold on Pedersen. That's that's what I have heard and what a lot of other people have reported, that it wasn't just cap reasons. Part of it was also, we want to make sure that we're 100% certain here that he's the guy, the franchise player, that he can be the best player on a cup-winning team before we give him a massive six seven eight year contract
0: yep exactly and that's look I think people pointed out at the time I'm not going to rehash it but that was a little bit little bit of backwards thinking if if there were any doubts about what Elias Peterson was going to be in this league um and look I, I know he's had slumps and I saw someone yesterday pointing out oh well I don't want to give him money because look at the slump he had this year I, I thought it's been made crystal clear that that slump was almost entirely because his wingers were doing absolutely nothing and like You've, you've seen what that second line's doing, even with Pia Suter, a guy who was going. like Pia Suter was going to some extent before he got put on that line with Ilya Mikheyev and Andrei Kuzmenko. But those two wingers, they have really, really struggled this season. And not even Elias Bederson could dig them out of it. And I think that's saying a lot um, about that line and what they're able to do right now. Okay, this is good. Let's get to some more anyone else's. Uh, this one from Corey Anderson. I think it'll be a short answer for both of us, Harmon. Personal question for you guys. Does the Canucks being relevant give you guys a level of excitement about your jobs and writing that's been missing in the past few years? Short answer is yes, absolutely.
1: Yeah. It's, it's not fun talking about a miserable losing situation year after year after year. It's, I mean, how many times can you rip into roster construction, the bottom six, the blue line, it, it it becomes, um, just so repetitive,
0: that was the problem that we always had it felt like was and I tried to avoid as best I could during those lean years when it was like we all know what the issues are, and fans are getting tired of hearing it every single day and the thing I used to joke about with Faber was I listened to four shows today and they all said the exact same things, and this is the fifth time this week that they've said all of those exact same things, so you always you always want to try to keep it fresh, but it's hard. Like it's it's not easy to come up with fresh ideas to talk about um when the team isn't doing well and and really had no direction at that time. They've got direction now. They're doing well now of course yeah it, it's much, much nicer. Okay, this one from Kuran, given how high the shooting percentage has been for the bottom six, Joshua Lafferty Huglander, is it another reason to be proactive at the deadline when the regression for those guys eventually
1: comes? Well I think that's just part of the bigger point that you don't know when everything is going to go right for you as a team again, in, in the sense of your core has been relatively healthy. I mean, look at how badly Vegas has been hammered by injuries. Uh, you see so many teams around the league. New Jersey was supposed to be a contender this year, right? Beat the Rangers in round one, young up and coming team. They've been hammered by injuries. They lost a couple players in free agency, which might happen to the Canucks, and they are struggling just to get into a playoff spot right now. The the Leafs, another example, they lose a few guys in free agency and they're not able to hit on their depth signings on all of them. Now, all of a sudden, they don't really look like contenders. Yeah, they're going to make the playoffs, but they don't really look like a serious cup threat. So, yeah, I mean, you don't know when the stars are going to align for you again. And part of that is, yeah, the bottom six, you have a, a, a ton of guys that are producing at levels that may or may not last like Blugers got 18 points in 30 games his previous career high is 28 points like am i expecting him to be that type of player year in year out uh probably not if he even resigns in vancouver Uh, similar sort of thing with uh with joshua as well lafferty so yeah it's it's part of the everything is going right for this team and that doesn't always happen on a year in year out basis
0: also, Corey Anderson pointed this out with going back to the thing about Elias Patterson and his slump. That slump was 20 points in 22 games. So he was still putting up the points during that uh, slump that people are talking about. So anyways, I really like what you just said, Harmon. I find that really interesting because it kind of goes back to the conversation that we had yesterday about striking while the iron's hot, right? And, and giving this team the tools that they have, they, they need to succeed, in the playoffs, and again, we just heard that from Patrick Alvin when we broke down his quotes there. Okay, this one from Rajcraft. I'm interested here uh, on your thoughts on this one, Harmon, because I don't know the player too too well. What about targeting Jack
1: Roslovich? I don't think he'd be a fit at all for under Rick Talkett. Hmm. Uh He's got flashy skill. Sometimes he has the ability to make highlight real plays, highlight real passes. And he'll have heater stretches where he'll go off for like 19 points in 19 games. And you're like, wow, this guy's got game-breaking skill. But he's so inconsistent. He's cut from the same cloth as Kuzmenko, honestly, where he is not responsible defensively. You you worry about the puck management. And you have to remember that Columbus, for the longest time, was so desperate for finding top six centermen. I mean, they, they cycled through so many different... Players, I remember when they acquired Max Domi and that was a flop and Roslovic, of course, was originally part of uh, the Dubois trade and he's never found a fit there. It's always been hot and cold for Roslovic there. And my thought process is, okay, if you aren't able to stick it as a top six centerman on one of the worst teams in the NHL, what makes you think you're you're going to be able to do that on a team that has aspirations of uh, being a contender. So I don't think he's um, a fit at all, even stylistically for what the Canucks are looking for, probably in a centerman. Ideally it'd be more of a two way, well-rounded type, uh, type player. And I just don't view Roslovic as that type of player at all. Jesse C
0: asks who votes on the Selkie? The answer is the hosts of this show, uh, both members of the professional hockey writers association. The professional hockey writers association is who votes on the Hart, Norris, Selkie, Lady Bing? What's the other one we vote on? Uh did you mention Calder Hart... already? No, There it is. Calder. Those are the five awards that we vote for. Then we vote for the All-Star team or whatever. Like the All-Star team is what it's called. Um and then the GMs vote on the Vesna and the broadcasters vote on the Jack Adams? Jack Adams. There it is. Yes, thank you. Um, so early, early. But number one on my selkie, I'm not sure yet. Like I, I don't know. And again, it's I know it's not Elise Peterson to this juncture. It's and you gotta and I had be Barkov. It's gotta be Barkov, right? Like you and I had this conversation off air. Yeah.
1: He's been so dominant, I think. Like I remember when Florida was coming into Vancouver and Florida had outscored teams 28 to nine, just like nine, only nine goals against for that line the entire season. And you've seen what Barkov's been able to do for Sam Reinhardt as well. Reinhardt having a career year on, on Barkov's wing he's been, he's been incredible.
0: He has been, he absolutely has been. And it was funny because uh, last year, so I had Patrice Bergeron number one, and then I had Nico, he number two, and that was ended up, that ended up being number one and two of the award. And in my mind, I was like, well, it's Nico Hishir's award to lose then. like, th- He's going to win it every single year. But then Barkov comes out and has the year he does. Yeah, it looks like it's going to be Barkov uh, for the Selkies. Give me 10 year. seconds so, to get my laptop
1: charger. It somehow fell from like 86% to 16 in the matter of just doing oh, the show. So one second.
0: Okay, you go through that. I'm going to go through and talk about my votes here. For the other awards that we vote on, uh, look. I know it's halfway point of the season. Like I said yesterday, everybody is putting out their kind of picks for each award. So I thought that'd be fun to do. We're probably going to do our entire ballots on a future show. And again, it's our half season ballot. But Norris, I have Quinn Hughes there. I've had him there all year. But Kill McCar is making a real case to take the Norris away from Quinn Hughes once again. When you look at points per game, Kael McCarr's one point behind Quinn Hughes, and I think he's played six less games or, or four or five less games. It's not a huge number, but the points per game rate is higher for Kael McCarr. And look, like, we know Kael McCarr is the best defenseman in the league and that Quinn Hughes has been making a strong case to be considered in that same conversation with Kael McCarr. But Kael McCarr's done it year in, year out. And again, as much as I joke about being a giant Canucks homer, I don't think Quinn Hughes has this locked up as maybe we thought he did back in October and November when we were having these discussions, Harmon.
1: I disagree, actually. I don't think oh. Makar is close right now. He is close in terms of the point totals, but overall 2A play, Makar hasn't been as sharp this year. Uh, hmm. You look first at the underlying numbers in controlling shots, controlling scoring chances. His impact hasn't been nearly as strong as, uh, as Quinn Hughes, and you can see it in the sense that with Kale McCarr on the ice this year, the Abs are only plus four at five on five. And that's then that lines up with the play driving numbers being good, but not elite. Whereas with Quinn Hughes, I'm gonna quickly pull this up right now, the numbers are are pretty bonkers in terms of how lopsided the Canucks are are winning minutes. Yeah, the Canucks are in comparison plus twenty-nine with Quinn Hughes on the ice at five on five compared to plus four. And of course, I do think that in Hugh's case, he's benefiting a little bit from uh, some, a little, he's riding like a 106 PDO and the connection are shooting 15% when he's, when he's on the ice at 515. So it is a bit inflated, but even just watching him play, his overall impact, uh, two-way results defensively has been superior to Makar's, so... McCar's is close enough that if he has a monster second half, yeah, he can get back into the conversation. But I think the gap between Hughes and McCar is bigger than the point totals, which would, would suggest. Really interesting because I was looking at it
0: and I guess I, I need to I need to dig further. And obviously, I will before I submit my actual ballot. But the thing that I kind of come down to is we know Colorado's had their struggles this year. Like we obviously heard Devon Taves call out the team and all that sort of stuff. We know they've had their struggles. I'm just curious in the second half, because I, I think what we've seen, Harmon, is we've seen kill McCarr recently start to be more part of the solution. Like, I, I'd have to go look. Again, I'd have to go look at his splits. But just from what I've seen, you know, taking the quick look at it and watching the avalanche when I do, like, I feel like he's just started to be part of the solution with what was looking like a pretty bad situation in Colorado uh, earlier In the season, I think he's been a part of the solution. I wonder, like again, like you said, it has to be a huge second half for him to really, really close that gap. But I just don't think it's a shoe in at this juncture that Hughes is just going to walk away with the award.
1: Yeah, I just don't think McCarr was the usual Kale McCarr in terms of his defensive play, pocket management, all of those details. He's still racking up points, but his overall impact—I don't think he's been as sharp. Fair enough. Uh, okay, I like this one. This one from
0: NAR. Would you rather bring on Cody Hodgson or Terry Ryan as a black case this spring? I'm going to go Hodgson. He's younger. I've given the Hodgson take before. And for those that didn't see it, uh, Hodgson signed a PTO. I thought it was called an ATO, but a PTO with the Milwaukee Admirals, uh, who he finished his NHL career with after he signed with the Nashville Predators in 2015. Uh, he finished out his career in the AHL. And he's back. He's back. And he's only 33. He's turning 34 on February 18th. I only know that because I wrote an article about him and know that his birthday is pretty damn close to mine, so uh yeah, Cody Hodgson, I'm going Cody Hodgson, bring him in
1: yeah, I mean, I think you're pretty screwed if uh if if you end up uh going that deep down your roster that you have to lean on any of those guys and potential uh playoff games, but yeah, I mean, like you said he he's younger, so we'll we'll give him um the the thumbs up there.
0: Yeah, Archdeep Baines is wondering what the hell he has to do to get a shot when they <laughs> announce the Terry Ryan signing, the 49-year-old Terry Ryan signing Archdeep Baines can't get in. Um, okay, so um, there, was there another one else? I think there was one more. Let me see. Actually, no, I think that was it. No, I like this one. This one, just to see. This will, is this will what we close it out on. <clears throat> this is what we'll close it out on. New defense award, the Bobby Orr Award, for the top-scoring D-man or most proficient offensive uh defenseman then the norris can be more like a selkie and you basically what it's suggesting from jesse there is that you split the two you go you have an offensive defenseman award and a defensive defenseman award i like that idea i like that idea because i like I liked that our pal Thomas Drance gave Chris Tana a Norris vote a few years back because he absolutely deserved it. He's one of the best defensemen, one of the best all around defensemen in the league. And Hey, you just brought it up. Like I, I look at kill McCarr and I think he's going to get votes for the reason that I just pointed out that his points per game is higher than Quinn Hughes. And there's still going to be a lot of people around the league that are voting on this award Harmon that look at Hughes as an offense first defenseman and are going to say, well, he's not even leading in the offensive category. So I'm going to give my vote to kill McCarr. That's gonna happen.
1: That's gonna happen. I think this year the big difference is the narrative is working in his favor, with the Canucks finally being this breakout surprise team. That was the point I made last year was Hughes is gonna fly under the radar because the Canucks are terrible and people are just going to assume that don't watch Hughes play. That part of the reason the team is struggling is because he's not very good defensively. Whereas now they're he's the captain of this team that is Eating through the NHL, that's that. Like teams don't underestimate the impact of team success in the story and narrative that informs people voters' decision making. That will definitely be working in his favor. Not to mention there is voter fatigue, and I think everybody, mm-hmm. everybody has um, like Kale McCarr has gotten his due. So I think to a certain extent, people do like giving new players their, um their flowers, as you would say. And I think uh, Quinn's fully deserved it. And I think voters around the NHL will recognize that, Hey, it's, it's think- this guy's turn to get a spot in the, uh, to get an opportunity in the spotlight.
0: I like that. And I like that you're going into the mind of an Eastern voter uh, because I think you're right. Like, I, I think you're right to some extent that the, the team success is going to help out. Like if you overtake the league, like we saw Eric Carlson do from a points production perspective. Yeah. You're probably, you're probably gonna be the one that walks away with the award, but when you're winning and you have the reputation that Quinn Hughes has had, you're right. Like this is a year where his reputation is obviously going to start to turn. Um, And look, I think a lot of Eastern voters saw that Dom stuck his neck out and now has had to admit that he was wrong about Quinn Hughes. I think a lot of Eastern voters are going to see stuff like that, and his reputation is going to change. And I think this is the year, obviously, where it changes. Uh,
1: the, well, you the, know the how hard we, it is yeah. for to to get Dom to admit he's wrong. It's yeah that that and he was denied hard through the first couple of months. So yeah, if if Dom is having to change his mind, I bet a lot of Eastern media is, are waking up right now to Quinn Hughes being a Norris Caliber defenseman. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Okay, the chat wants me to vote
0: uh Genny Kuznetsov for the Selkie. It's not happening, folks. It's not happening. You're not gonna tell me who to
1: vote for. Um, all Russian yeah. ballot with with uh with Kuznetsov, uh Kuznenko. Uh what the Ovechkin, hell is Kuzmenko
0: winning? The the Selke. the Lady Bing because he doesn't throw a hit? Th- this is our anti-selkie ballot. <laughs> <laughs> Anti-Selkie. Oh my gosh. All right. Um Let's get to our Betway bet of the day, brought to you by our friends over at Betway. I don't even remember what I put in there. So, this will be a trip for all of us. <laughs> oh, also, yeah, okay, let's get to our bet. Uh, it's Montreal Canadiens to beat the New Jersey Devils tonight at plus 150 odds. A $10 bet will return you $25 over on Betway. It must be 90 plus to play. If you choose to play, please play responsibly over at Betway. I wanted to update everybody. My pick hit in Wendy's Daily Face Off Survivor game last night. I'm up to day three, which is tomorrow's games because there's only two games on the NHL schedule tonight. I'm up to, I'm going on to round three. There's four rounds tomorrow. I picked Taves to pick up a point. He just needs to pick up a point, a single point, and I'm on to day four. Who are they playing? I can't remember. I think it was, I think it's the Leafs. I'm not sure. Let me check. Um, I remember looking at it and saying, "Oh, okay, it might be a low-scoring game." And I think the most popular. The Bruins, the Bruins. They're playing the Bruins tomorrow. Ooh. Okay. So Swayman's the most been popular, hot. the most popular pick Harmon is for him to get under, like no points, to get zero yeah. points. But he's got an assist, and then a goal and assist in his past two games, respectively. I like it to continue. I like the three game point streak. Devontae's on my let's wagon. We'll see,
1: see. Swayman's been
0: unreal, so you got a, has a tough test there. Yeah, 8-2-0 and in their last 10 is the Avalanche. And that's what I was alluding to when I talked about, um, you know, McCar potentially getting a lot of the credit for the turnaround there in Colorado. But we'll see. We'll see what happens. I'm, I'm sticking with it. I think I'm sticking with it. I might have to go rethink that. But you're right, Jeremy Swayman. Speaking of guys who, um, you know, who have made it hard for Canucks to run away with awards, Jeremy Swayman is obviously going to be right there as well. All right, we will close it out there. For my co-host, Harmon Dial, and our technical producer, Grady Sass, my name is David Bugelli. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Canucks Conversation. Canucks Conversation with Harmon and Quads every weekday at 2 p.m. Be sure to check it out on the Canucks Army YouTube channel. And if you missed it, go check it out on your favorite podcast catcher
2: app.